Hello, I'm Tara Ruckman. And I'm Stephanie Howe, and we are Control the Chaos EDU. Are you burnout? Are you feeling frustrated or overwhelmed? Or maybe it's the opposite, and you're a go-getter and want to level up. Then it's time to dive in with real talk and solution-focused conversations. So I just met our guest um, real quickly for the first time about five minutes ago, and I already love her. Um, And we were just having a quick conversation and I was like, "Um, we need to just start recording and talking about what is happening and um, education. And I'm going to give kind of my backstory, um, which some of you know, is when I grew up, I had a learning disability. And it was really difficult for me with that learning disability and just growing up in a classroom. It was a lot of direct instruction and I was able to kind of hide in the classroom. And then I went to college and I went online for college and it was a school where I had to um, start to take ownership of my learning and I had to kind of be self-disciplined and self-paced in that learning. And I realized that I was smart. And one of the things in our um, guest today that she says is she felt like she wasn't smart enough. And that's how I felt. I was like, oh, we have got this connection already. Um, So I'm going to go ahead and bring up Sonia today. And let's go ahead and just talk about your background a little bit and about you. Oh, wow. Thank you so much for having me. And yes, one brilliant woman to another. Um, I, I'm going to go a little bit backwards. I'm Dr. Sonia Toledo, and I just got my PhD in, Ju- in July of 2021. And I have to say, um, quite um, prior to, to receiving my PhD, I've always questioned my intelligence. Um, so it was, it was really good to bond with you on that, um, because I think the, um, the self-pace and the um, ability to manage my own learning really got me to understand that it didn't have anything to do with my brilliance. It only had something to do with how I was learning. How was I learning? Not what was I learning? Because I could learn anything I want. (laughs) Um, But a little bit about me is um, if we could go back to um, my, I was born in Puerto Rico, I'm a twin. Um, my sister and I and seven other siblings, my sister and I are the youngest. So my mom migrated from Dominican Republic to Puerto Rico with the siblings and then to the Bronx, New York with eight children um, and, um, and my grandmother. And so um, being brought up with an immigrant mom, with immigrant family, um, education was very high in priority and in values. And um, my mom's way of managing our education was that we never, we were never late for school and we never absent for school. And we had to bring in good grades. So I grew up in in a competitive environment where, you know, the grades, I was always on time and always there in school, but my grades were down here and my sister's grades were up here. Right. So she was always in those um, SB classes or specialized classrooms. And I was in the 
the bottom, <laughs> the bottom special needs classroom, et cetera, um, all through my school years, all the way up through high school. Um, you know, not until I um, later on in, in my going to work, I remember a friend, like I went to school knowing that I had to just do the best that I can, but you know, my reading levels low and, um, and I was always taken out into um, special classrooms, you know, um, breakout rooms and stuff like that. But I really didn't see myself as like having um, a special need or learning disability. I just felt not valued. I felt I wasn't enough. I felt inferior. I think the most um, challenging part that I had was my self-esteem, my self-worth and my confidence. Um, so anyway, moving fast forward, I started working in the after school field and, and loved it. I feel that that's where I shined. I was really, um, feeling very powerful, being able to influence, um, young children and, and teach them and play with them. And that's, that's pretty much all I've done all my life is play with children. Um, so as I moved forward, um, I got my master's in, um, in um, human services. And I did my dissertation, I did my thesis on high risk, um, supporting children in, with high risk communities with after school programming. So I was able to go deep, deeper into the after school world and understand the value um, of having after school for children in, in underserved communities. Um, so from, from there, I started I moved from direct services to training and development. And I started um, in New York looking at the regulations, um, what were the criteria to get your program permit. So I was doing trainings for directors that were running programs to support them in maintaining their license. And um, fast forward, I created Dignity of Children um, in 2008. Um, looking at the gap in training um, for many of these underserved communities, organizations did not, it was not the funding, it was more the structure of training wasn't available to everyone. So what I did was designed a model where um, I would go into the organization and, and train all of their staff together in basic concepts like child development, classroom management, safety, et cetera. So all the staff could have um, the foundation. Um, I always looked at like foundation training was critical to have anybody who's working with a child to um, have this knowledge before they're in the classroom. Here I am, we're gonna, we're gonna make 15 years. 15 oh, years with dignity of children. That's amazing. So <laughs> I have a question for you. So it, so you mentioned early on your self-confidence. Um, that was part of the issue, your belief in yourself. Does any part of your training go back to that piece to help those foundation and educators build that, build that piece in children as well? I'm just, I'm connecting all the pieces. All, it's all I do. All I think about is how to create an environment where children feel safe 
and not safe just physically. And you know, in this country, we're having this issue with our schools being safe, but being safe emotionally as well. And um, so safe and fully self-express so they could thrive. That's our mission. Um, creating environments where children are safe and fully self-expressed so they could thrive. And that all stems from my experience as a child, because I feel the missing piece for me, even though I got it when I was older, going to going back to college and then getting my PhD um, and working, you know, as a professional, I felt that the one place, the one thing that was missing for me is having people who valued me, who, who said to me that, I, um, that I'm smart or that what my, my ideas were good or, you know, um, um, you know that I had, I had worth. <laughs> um, so my, my programming is all about creating environments where children are heard and they have the opportunity to be they're given permission to be brilliant. <laughs> and regardless of what your academic capacity is, um, that's just one part of it. You know what? I still can't spell. <laughs> I, I am so inspired um, by your story and by the work that you've done. I know backstage we were talking a little bit and you said it took you five years to get your doctorate done compared to 10. I mean, just right there, you know, like, I feel like if when I was in school and they were like, oh, I'm going to go get my doctorate, like, oh, no, it's going to take you extended time, you know, like as a student with a learning disability. But no, you you cut your time in half, <laughs> which is amazing that you were able to do that. That is impressive. Can you tell us how? Like, yeah. tell, us, tell us the mindset you had to have and the work capacity you have to have. And I'll be honest, sometimes I feel like nowadays people have a goal in mind, but they mm -hmm. don't want to do the work to get there, yes. right? Mm -hmm. And you can't skip steps. You mm -hmm. got to do the work. So yeah. tell us how you did the work to get there faster. Well, one is, um, especially having a business, um, I, I had to be self-motivated. Self I had to really find ways to get myself to do things without having you know, the accountability from somewhere else, right? So um, well, the first thing I did, honestly, is that I had to share with my family and the people close to me that I was going to go to school and I blocked off some time during the week and during the weekend that it was my school days. So I no longer could do the, you know, hanging out, let's go and do the spa days every weekend or go, you know, or go out for, you know, an after after work drink. I couldn't do all those things like I used to. So I had to condition my family to respect my time during the time. And I had to learn how to say no a lot, right? Like, oh, I can't do that because my commitment is my weekends are my school and two, two nights out of the week was my school time. So the other thing that was very critical for me was not so much the discipline of um, time, but I, you know, I remember have, I put chart papers all over my house and it was like big, um, big, big notes because for some reason the visual really made a difference for me. The big visual of what, you know, 
so if I was reading an article, I would just write the notes, the main points of the articles in big chart papers all over my house. People would come over to my house. It's like, okay, what's happening here? And it's like, okay, I'm writing a paper this weekend, you know, and I need to see this. I need to like absorb the information, but I found strategies and tools that helped me stay on target on what needed to happen. One life changer otter otter dot ai and i'm not i'm not promoting it what i am saying is that this is a scriber that i was able to talk out my paper which which really helped me from getting from the stomp of like oh my god i can't write i don't know what to say next to just talk you know this talk it out and then go back and edit it and go back and restructure it and put it into, into, you know, the concept paper that was a lifesaver. I also had a program that was a reader. So I would, I would take the, the article, put it on the reader and let it read to me out loud while I'm, while I'm taking notes and, and highlighting the article as I read it. And I would be able to read it twice as fast because I was, I, I would do the first round sometimes while I'm in the car and I, you know, and I'm listening to it and I would hear some key points. And then I would sit down again and, and read it again with it in front of me and then take notes and stuff like that. So that's how I was able to absorb all this information and still get my, you know, targets, you know, hit my targets. Um, I just found different way of learning. That's amazing. And you know what? Almost every successful person or successful in whatever they do, whether they're a millionaire, a life heir, a successful educator, they have found different strategies. And one of the common denominators is always time for me. Mm -hmm. We find that in everything. And I love that you added the piece. It wasn't just about managing your own time, but bringing in your family to understand that. Mm -hmm. um, that's that's a great tip because a lot of the times, right, we, we put things in our calendar. We're thinking about managing our own time, but then we don't think about communicating that time yes. management to our families so that they understand, all right, this time is a no-go. I'm not yeah. going to be distracted. I'm not going to be going out. I'm not going to be doing all those things, you know, going to get my nails done or <laughs> going out to dinner, but um, that's my undistracted time. So yeah. I think that's a great tip because we talk time management all the time, but that's like that additional, mm -hmm. like leveling up our time management. <laughs> that's amazing. I, I love it. I, I'm going to use that for sure. <laughs> and every once in a while I do the same thing because you know being in business and like oh no this is a block time <laughs> I'm not available and it, it helps me set my boundaries mm -hmm. um and be clear on what I need to do and 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 the other thing too is my process right so I don't just sit down and start writing I have a whole like the first five hours of the day is a process of just thinking about what I'm gonna write <laughs> you know in the last two hours of the evening right before I go to bed I'm like you know, writing it all down. Um, so, so I know I needed all that time. I couldn't just say, oh, I just need two hours to get a paper done. No, I need a full 12, 16 hours. 
Yeah. And I love that you think, you know, all children are brilliant, no matter, no matter what. And so you learned ways to help you overcome your learning disability, such as like talking it out to this, what, computer, and then it's, you know, scribing it out for you or listening to audio tapes or whatever you needed to do. Um, but one roadblock that I often hear teachers say when there are these students that really struggle with the traditional way, we expect students to type up a paper. We expect them to do all these different things. And sometimes teachers won't let students talk it out, even though that is a really good strategy. Um, sometimes I think it's standardized testing that gets in the way, but what are some advice or tips or tricks for that teacher that might be like, we, we can't do that? Um, right. Or how, how do you help teachers overcome that barrier? Well, like you said, I, it's not that I'm telling teachers that they should let children use scribers, right? This is what I use as an adult, but there are other ways that, um, that children could explore their desire to write or their desire to read. So what happens is, is that if we're reading something that we're not interested in, we're more focused on spelling out the word or, you know, um, making um, reading smoothly, like, you know, and a nice, you know, um, reading voice, than we are with the content that we're reading, right? So, so the first thing I would say is, if we, if we could start with having interests, even, even not 100% of the time, but even 20% of the child's life is reading something that they're interested in, at least get them to read <laughs> for interest purpose, for desire purpose. So there's a sense of practice and a, and a sense of wanting to do the reading because I like what I'm doing, you know? And the same thing with writing, um, we make writing so stressful that anytime that it's um, writing time, I stress out. I, I imagine as a trainer being in front of the room and like, oh man, how do you spell this? And I'm like stuck and people will correct me. Um, I got over it <laughs> or rather they got over it. I still can't spell in front of the room. Um, but my point is, is that um, just allowing for multiple edits, allowing for process to how to get the conception and then and then the practice of reading of reading the practice of reading something that I love so I could get to reading something that I have to um, it, it's not like the teachers have all this flexibility but sometimes um, just even giving them something to um, to look forward to so for example if I'm reading if I need to read but I'm reading something that I I'm reading about something that really interests me, then I look forward to figuring out how to read it. Mm -hmm. Even if somebody else is reading it to me, or even if I'm reading with a friend, or even if I'm, you know, doing the, the audio, reading it to me, then I'm going to try to read it myself, you know? So there's just ways of, of we just need to find other um, ways to first bring the interest in, engaging first before we go into the 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 logistics of it yeah i that love no i love what you were saying and 
Tara probably doesn't know this because I haven't shared this yet, but um, we're, we're working on a book right now and we're in the editing stage and um, we've got the document up and I'm like typing and Tara's going back and fixing my spelling. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, thank God. Like, but I, it's because we have that relationship where it's not judgmental. Like she, she knows I'm just getting my ideas out there and she's like, I'm going back and I'm just going to fix it. And it doesn't bother me anymore. But when right. I was in school, that really like bothered me because I felt like I wasn't smart enough or whatever. But now I'm like, I got to get my ideas out there because yes. I know my words and my voice um, is is meaningful. And I do mm -hmm. have things that I need to do. Um, but it's nice to have that friend that is able to go behind me and, hey, this is how you actually spell yes. that word. Yes. So before, when I was in school and I had to go up to the board and write, I would substitute words for words mm -hmm. that I knew to spell. And then it would be like very like basic vocabulary, but I was like, I know how to spell this word instead of this word. Yes. And so I'm going to use that in replacement of the higher academic vocabulary. Like I know it, but I don't know how to spell it. Yeah. Um, and so then it didn't make me sound as intelligent either. Um, so thank you, Tara, for being my like, letting me get it out there and being that person that is able to uh, not judge me and just fix it. <laughs> yeah, and that makes a huge difference is having people around you that are not judging or um, mm -hmm. how you call it, just correcting constantly. Like they, they don't let you take, um, don't let you express completely before they're already correcting every, every bit uh -huh. of the way. That, that hinders the, the creativeness your creativity, your opportunity for expression. And the flow, just the simple flow, right? Um, mm -hmm. But I, I will be honest, I, I'm not a great speller either. It's a lot of spell check, not me. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I'm like, I'm just like, I got to get it out there because of that flow, um, which is really funny. But it was interesting because backstage, I'm, I'm going backstage a lot because we had such a great conversation. And I was like, we just got to hit record. Um, but you were talking about even today you struggle with sometimes feeling brilliant and it depends on the room that you're in. And I just, I love that because it's true. And we've got to surround ourselves with people that are not judgmental, that allow failure, that allow the time to go back and edit instead of like, everything has to be perfect right now. Yeah. Um, so I appreciate you bringing that up too. Yeah. And, and the, the other side of that is, I'm still healing from the wounds mm -hmm. of being chastised because I wasn't only chastised by teachers, but also siblings, um, um, jobs, you know, um, real quickly, I got chastised because I shared that I had a learning disability with one of my colleagues and my, and my boss literally fired me because he said, I didn't know this information and you force, you forcefully um, 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 presented yourself in, in, inappropriately. So you are no longer working here. And he literally said, you're fired. And the HR person was like, no, you can't do that. So, so I had to like go through a whole, as an adult, I had to go through a whole process of evaluating myself 
to document myself as a learning disability so I could stand on my ground as a grown professional that you cannot, you, you need to make accommodations for me. I never, I don't have to announce that I have a learning disability. It's against the law, <laughs> you know? So those two years that I was in that position, I felt inadequate. Yes. And as soon as I removed myself from that environment, I blossomed. And it's those people that you don't want to share with, you know, because they are going to judge you. And I know for me, there are people where I don't bring it up. And then once I get comfortable with someone, I'm like, hey, I, I struggle. I struggle with learning mm -hmm. and I struggle with reading and spelling and all of those different things. Um, so who was your advocate in school? Would you say your mom was an advocate for you or did you have to advocate for yourself? I kind of... Um... <laughs> I, it's it's a really hard call because my house being a competitive force, I was always like pu pushing myself to try as the best that I can because I didn't want to be left out or I didn't want to be the last one, right? So I was always kind of competing with my siblings. Um, so that drove me. And then... Um, I found advocates throughout my life in schools, from teachers to um, youth pro youth professionals that, you know, I, I was at the YMCA. Um, we started when we were like maybe 12 years old going to the YMCA. So a coach, um, I remember my basketball coach was probably one of my biggest advocates because in order to stay in that program, I had to have good grades. So good grades for me was not my problem. I was one, I was the smartest one in my dumb class. Mm -hmm. you, th that's the only way I could put it. Like <laughs> so I was in the dumb class, but I was the smartest one in there. <laughs> so I was always having good grades. Um, you know, it's it's hard to say that, but it's a shame that we need to categorize our kids by their academic performance versus mm -hmm. just um, uh, um, just provide the source, the resources they need for them to show up brilliant for what they have inside, you know, which is what I advocate for. And yeah, I completely agree because my mom did a lot of my advocating. Uh, mm -hmm. She attended all of my IEP meetings. She spoke up for me. If a teacher was not providing an accommodation, I, I was not good at it because my mom did it for me, yeah. which I felt like I'm thankful for her and I love her, but it made it really difficult when I got into the real world because then I didn't know how to advocate for my own needs. I, I didn't have those strategies or the language to use with people like, Hey, I need more time on this project because of this, or I need this um, to be read aloud, or I am not reading out loud this paragraph in front of this whole room. Um, and this is why, like, I really struggled with that. And so it, it kind of, uh, it was something I had to learn quickly, yeah. <laughs> but it's something that I started to realize when I became a special education teacher that I needed to start working with these students on these skills, Yes, even though they're just fifth graders, mm -hmm. um, because it was something that I really needed. Yeah. And, and I, I have to say, uh, um, the challenges got me stronger, mm -hmm. right. But that they, but also some of the challenge was some of the challenges were not, were not necessary, were not needed. Right. Like 
yeah there's like this balance like we do need the challenge to to build our stamina and um but we some we don't need to be chastised mm -hmm. because those those words are the ones that um that we carry for years mm -hmm. you know and i think that is nowadays creating that awareness in students at a young age um, I know in a couple of our elementary schools, we have an awareness day yeah. where we educate them and, and we also educate them throughout the year. Um, you know, putting them in situations where what is it like for, for the other students and yeah. creating that awareness so they're educated so that they aren't doing the chastising. They aren't doing those things um and you know inclusion now the inclusion i mean that's huge right mm -hmm. probably back then there was not inclusion as you said you called it the dumb class which resonates with me i would never would never want to hear anybody be thinking that they were in the dumb class that's a terrible way to think um so just that inclusion piece of it that we don't that's that's not an acceptable way to live anymore so yeah. education has come such a long way with inclusion and it sounds like you're a huge part of that process <laughs> yeah i um you know i really truly believe that um children with disabilities um have um exceptional talents that that people without disabilities can figure out how to do that mm -hmm. right so so our job is to find out what those exceptional talents are right because the ability to to figure things out or to to see things i mean there's so many ways that um somebody with a disability could shine um and it's not focus on a hundred percent on their disability. And that's, that's what happens when you segregate, you know, you're like, oh, this group goes over here and this group goes over here is that we're just focused on their disability. We mm -hmm. need to focus on their abilities. And, you know, you know, you see stories all the time, people who, who don't have limbs have, have done amazing life work, you know, and they don't have limbs. They use their hands when they don't have feet. You know, like it's so our society is designed to focus on on our um, shortcomings. <laughs> you know, and I want to reverse that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, so this has been a really great conversation, and we want people to join your community. Um, so can you give us some inside information on their action steps for? going to your website and how they can learn more? Yes, absolutely. So we definitely could send you a free ebook. Um, it's called Responsible Leader. And um, this ebook is based on our emotional intelligence and um, collaborate, colla um, how it correlates with um, stress in the workplace. And I did my study, I did my dissertation on um, about 87 after-school directors took an assessment and uh, we correlated that, yes, if you have high emotional intelligence, your perceived stress is lower. If you have low emotional intelligence, your perceived stress is higher. 
So we want to we want to reduce the stress of ourselves in order for us to be available for our children. So one we um, you could go to www.dignityofchildren.com, and we definitely will send you the link for any of your your um, viewers could have the book for free. And also we have ideas empowered by youth is a curriculum a project based learning curriculum. Um, where we're teaching entrepreneur skills, we're teaching um, um, how to create environments where um, um, we teach our young people to be self-directed learners, um, working, working with collaborative, um, working with our children more in a collaborative learning environment, really supports kids to manage um, driving their own education and being passionate about things that they, that matters to them. So we have an amazing um, learning management system for teachers and educators and homeschoolers um, that has curriculum and has um, training for, for teachers to create this environment, having a social, emotional, safe environment for our kids while they drive the education that they are interested in is what my mission is. And you could catch us in all our handles at um, Ideas by Youth, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you so much for sharing all of those amazing resources. Um, we can't wait to share them out and get that free book because it sounds amazing. Yes. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. And so until next time, make sure you uh, control the chaos and help your students start to learn those advocating skills, uh, help them to realize their brilliance because every single student is brilliant and we've got to believe in them. We've got to uh, create that positive environment for them and realize that it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to fail forward and just being patient with those students that might really struggle. Um, so again, control the chaos until next time. Thanks for listening to Control the Chaos EDU. Check out the description for show notes. We look forward to connecting with you on social media. Subscribe to the weekly podcast so you never miss an episode. Control the chaos until next time.